Hi there, my name is Adam Waters and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. You guys sounded amazing. Such a blessing. This is our last week of our long love series. We've been talking about this, I don't know, since at least October probably. Today we are going to actually be talking about love creating belonging. How does God's love in us through Christ create a community? And what does that look like in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our communities? Someone asked me recently uh, what to look for in a church. I had been encouraging them. You really got to find a church. I said, well, what does it look like? I said, well, it looks like Grace Bible Church. But I said, I'm not going to hold that against you. You can go wherever. These are some of the things you look at. You know, intellectually, what is it that you look for in a church? Well, you look for faithful preaching of the word. You look for reasonable theological positions that comport with God's revealed will there. You want to make sure, in short, that they are focusing on and teaching the truth. The truth. We want to look at a focus on Christ and his atoning life, his death, and his resurrection. After all, it's all about him. We are Christians. A clear demonstration of the spiritual gifts in community. How are we sharing what God has gifted us with and how are we serving one another through those gifts? But individually, are there clear demonstrations of the fruit of the Spirit? There are many churches that will emphasize the idea of, of these gifts that come with being saved, the spiritual gifts. But just as important, I would argue perhaps most important, is the spiritual fruit. Are lives being changed? Are we being conformed into the image of Christ? So that's more of the intellectual side. What are we looking for and how are we evaluating that? But we mustn't forget the emotional side because there certainly is one, a relational side. When you engage with the church, you're engaging with Christ's very body here on earth. I was reading a book uh, over the last couple of weeks and it really challenged me to rethink more and to be willing to embrace some of the mystery. You know, as Christians, especially evangelical Christians, especially evangelical, we sort of eliminate mystery out of, out of our faith. If we can't explain it by looking at a preposition and its relation to the participle next to it, then it doesn't mean anything. But we have to admit everything about our faith is mysterious and we can't answer it. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should be able to look at some of the mystery, the mysticism even, if it's poor, is properly understood, and to understand why we do what we do, what God has done here on earth. So when we're engaging with people, other Christians, when other people are engaging with us as believers, they're engaging in some mysterious way with God, Jesus's very body here on earth. The church is an image of Christ and therefore should worship and act with this in the forefront of our minds. I told him that Christ is calling him in love to himself. 
So any church that does not extend that love and seek to create belonging, to pull him in, to be part of us, saying, join us, is not representing Christ well. There's some chemistry, some spark when you meet people who are like you, when you're in the place that God has called you that says, you're home, you're home. I mean, we all want to belong, don't we? It's part of our very makeup as human beings. It's the way God made us. In fact, it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. God, the Godhead, is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that have lived and created their own being since ever. And in that communion, I don't know if that's a technical term or not, since ever, forever, eternity. They've always lived in perfect communion and community and love with one another. They needed nothing. They're perfectly, they're perfect in themselves. Yet out of that, out of their goodness, out of God's goodness, they said, let's bring others in. Let's have those who will join us, the Trinity determined out of their goodness and grace to invite more people into what I call the love fest, because that's what it was, an eternal love fest. They made a way to incorporate us into that community through Jesus Christ. As such, we're called to create that community just like Jesus did. We need to understand this. I think we do well. I do. Individually, I believe so as a church, but we can do better. God is calling us to grander and better things as we, wrote, as we sink into, as we lean into his will for our lives, as we keep, as I said, our eyes focused on Jesus. If our eyes are focused on Christ, everything changes. It's when we fall into the day-to-day and we look at differences instead of similarities, when we see people through something else other than the lens of Jesus' love for them. If we don't understand this, it will influence the way we interact with strangers. You know, rarely do we see somebody unless they're backing into their garage to close the door behind their car. Visitors to the church, to our places of employment, neighbors, and those with whom, especially perhaps, those with whom we disagree. If we love like Jesus, the refrain forever on our lips should be, Join us. Come with me. Be with me as I seek to be with Christ. So this morning we're going to look at several scriptures, especially in the beginning to to sort of tee it up, and then we're going to go through uh, a section of the book of Mark. So let's start and see how some of these scriptures work together to talk about God's creating belonging and community out of his love for people. Let's start in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. While we were sinners, before we did anything good or bad, while God, we were still in the mind, the heart of God, God made us alive and brought us to himself, seated us with him. Do you realize that? That right now, if you're a child of God, you are in some way in Christ, seated on the throne with him in the heavenlies. He saved you and pulled you with, I'm taking them with me. I will represent them because they are with me. And why? 
We often emphasize grace, and rightly so, for by grace we've been saved out of our desire to ensure that we do not base our salvation off of our works. It's important. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Because God loved us, he made us alive and together with him in Christ. Before we fit in. Before we fit in. Later on, Paul says in verses 12 and 13, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth. So set aside, apart from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. He's saying at one time you had no idea about God. You had no connection with God. You were far off doing your own thing, living the way Gentiles do, non-Jews. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once separated from everything. And God, out of his love in Christ, pulled us close. We've been brought near. We've been invited in. Join us. We've come to belong to God's people by Christ's loving sacrifice for us. He made us part of the family. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Paul, later on in a different book, talks about our being brought near and being adopted into the family of God. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters, as children of God. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba, it's like Daddy, Dad. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God has adopted us into his family. There's something mysterious and wonderful about that. That sometimes we say, well, we're a family here at Grace. And really, we're just saying another way, we're a club. And everyone likes each other here. And we're going to sort of do things, do life with them a little bit. But we're not part of the same actual family. Jesus says that is not true. We are family in Christ. We're tighter than just acquaintances, whether you like it or not. I make the joke all the time, get used to these people, you're going to be with them for a long time. We are family in Jesus, and as children of God, we belong to that family. God accomplished this, again, out of his love for us. He's adopted us and pulled us in and said, join me. So we see that God in love creates a community belonging to him through Christ. God in his love for us creates those who belong for him. We see this in the life of Jesus as well. Jesus' love for his people created a community during his earthly life. We see it again and again. Follow me. Join me. Come and see. He's constantly inviting people to come into him, to be with him. We see this especially in John 13, 1. It's about God's love for us through Christ. It says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, his own, we belong to Christ, who are in the world. He loved them even until the end. So let's take a look at Jesus' earthly community, his circle, by looking at Mark 3. This is our principal passage for this morning. In this text, Jesus is selecting his apostles. He has all of his disciples around. He says he goes up on a mountain and he pulls people to him. 
In this text, Jesus is, like I said, calling his apostles. Those would be his ultimate closest community. And really, we would see later on that he would pull an even closer community. So he has this large group of people. Then he narrows it down to 12. And three is really his closest people. So the, the most difficult time, the transfiguration, the time in the garden when he's praying the night before his betrayal, he brings his closest, James, Peter, and John. Those are the even closest community. There's a lot to learn here. <laughs> In this passage, it's just a few, it's names, really. A lot of it's names about what it means to be a community that creates belonging out of the love of God in our lives, despite our differences, because we'll see that they certainly do exist. So verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. You see, Christ calls people to himself. He's calling them through us, his body. When people show up in our lives, our neighbors, our friends, people, acquaintances, people, the grocery store bagger, I don't know, everybody, ultimately that person is coming into contact with Jesus Christ. We don't think that. We say, well, they're coming into contact with me. Why don't you come to church on Sunday and get in contact with Jesus? Why don't you take this tract and get in contact with Jesus? Nothing wrong with tracts. Why don't you read this Bible? Nothing wrong with the Bible. But when we interact, think about the implications of this. As you walk around your day-to-day -day lives, as you interact with people, they are interacting with Christ himself. And how does that translate into the way that we create belonging around us? How does that translate the way we love others? We see Jesus took the initiative. He calls them up. He calls them out. What do we do? Do we take the initiative when we see a stranger, a visitor, someone in the grocery store, someone, someone that just seems like God's saying, hey, you should talk to us? Do we take the initiative to spark up the conversation? You know, we talked about friendship last week, and it's an interesting and important topic because a lot of us don't have good friends. Some people don't even have acquaintances. So when it comes to preaching the gospel or living like Jesus, the best they can do is other people who are in the church. Certainly not unbelieving friends. We need to understand that when we're interacting with people, whoever they are, that we are bringing Christ to them because Christ is calling them to himself. It says he called those whom he desired and they came. He called those whom he desired and they came. That's a whole another message. When we interact with people, we need to recognize that Christ is calling them. And that God wants that person. <laughs> he called those whom he desired. Through this context, he's you know, calling the apostles to himself, but he desires that all people come to him. The apostle Peter talks about this, that he desires that no man should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. When we're interacting with people, I think sometimes, when we're living life, when we're talking about Jesus, we make a preconceived notion about whether or not they'll accept what it is we have to say. They're probably not going to want to hear what I have to say because it's easier to just justify that, right? It's easier to not talk to someone because we're afraid or, or lazy or don't want to do something instead of recognizing that we have no idea whether or not God has called this person. We have no idea whether or not this person is the next Martin Luther, next John Calvin, next whomever. You fill in the blank. Because at one time, we were all that person, 
Part of our problem when we're interacting with people and we're trying to bring community and show the love of Christ is we assume we were always the way we are now. We forget where we came from. We forget what we once were and how we didn't fit in, about how we were different, about how we didn't believe everything that we believe today, and that our ideas about God have changed over time. God desires all men, all people, to be saved. And it's our responsibility as the body of Christ here on earth to be extending that offer and saying, join us, join us. In the lives of people around us, we must live the truth out that Jesus loves them and they are important, just like Jesus loves me and you, us, and we are important to him as well. In other words, Jesus loves them, so should we. So we see that Jesus emphasized creating belonging among the people he loved. So he pulls and he creates an even tighter community, pulling people closer and closer to him. Verse 14, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Side note, apostle means one who is sent, okay? So the one who is sent out with the message, something like an evangelist, right? One who is sent to do what? The primary point, the first in this list is to be with him, with him. A lot of my degree is focused on discipleship, uh, and we talked a lot about the idea of living life with others, about being life on life with others. Not just, I see you at church on Sunday, I've seen you for the last 40 years. Yeah, we're friends, kind of, but I don't really know anything about you. Let me give you an indication of what that looks like. Did you ever go to a funeral with someone you've known, maybe for a long time? Then they sit and they tell you all about this person that you knew, and you realize you didn't know the person. This is what it means to know someone on a very superficial level. We need, God is calling us to be with people. Jesus calls those to be with him. We talk a lot about witnessing, about being a witness for Jesus, but what about withness? What about the idea of that when we live life as a Christian in Christ, that we are in community, and that when we do life together, This is what it means to be a Christian family. I think we've lost sight of this in the church, undoubtedly in the American church, because things have been too good. We complain about things that are going on right now, and we worry about the direction that it's going, and rightly so. But it can be a lot worse. And the scripture promises that it will be one day. And that we have a responsibility that we will need one another. You know, I think about what would happen in a catastrophe. I mean an absolute catastrophe. If something happened here, what would I do? What would I do? As the pastor, I say, I'm going to church. Who's coming with me? Why? Because we need to be together It's our witness with one another that makes us the body of Christ. You see, us by ourselves, we're not the church. It's only when two or more are gathered that we become the community of the body of Jesus. And this is what God is calling us to, to be with each other, to be with him. That's the primary focus. It's only after that witness, only after that being life on life with someone that the mission comes out, that is to preach the gospel and to engage in spiritual warfare. Call it praying. 
but we get that mixed up. We come to church to talk about the gospel and praying gospel when it's all predicated on being with each other and with Christ. Jesus knew the importance of spending time with others. This is dangerous sometimes to think about. There have been times in my life and even now that I'm surrounded by people. People who are either a believer who are hopefully trending that direction and they see me make mistakes all the time. All the time. It's important though that others see us fail well. It's easy to put on a face for the hour and 15 minutes we're at church. We show up, and we've heard it. We say it to our kids, and we tell it to ourselves, you better be on your best behavior. Do not embarrass me. So on the way to church, we're amping up ourselves to put our best foot forward so that for the hour and 15 minutes, we can be okay, and then we leave and get in an argument on the way home, go to our separate rooms, connect to the Wi-Fi. You know what I'm talking about. We all have stuff. People in our lives, people in this church need to see the body of Christ and the body of Christ has been broken and battered. And we are that body. We are not perfect. And we need to recognize that because it's in our imperfections that Christ is most glorified. God saved even me. Even me. I fear sometimes, that, and this is a fear for every church, not just our church, but I fear sometimes that we are a church that is capable of being fake. Fake. I don't want that. I get up here and bear my soul. There's a lot of stuff I don't say out of, like, wisdom, okay? But, but my sort of inclination is to overshare, because I think it's dangerous when people come to the church, even those who have been a Christian for a long time, to see me and assume that because I can get up and preach a message or that I can come, you know, interact kindly and do all these things, that somehow I'm imperfect. My staff will, or perfect. My staff will assure you that I am not. I do a lot of apologizing for saying things I shouldn't have said, okay? People have asked Lane, so what's it like being married to the pastor? You know, and she's like, I don't, they, she said one time, she goes, sometimes I think people think like you float around the house. <laughs> Part of creating belonging is spending time with people so that they see what real life is like and what it's like to live life as a Christian. There are times that I've said things and done things in my family, with my friends that were wrong, and I knew they were wrong before it happened. But recognizing that and saying, this is not God's will for my life. God wants something else. And doing it in front of them and saying, I realize that God wants me to do this. I did this because of my selfishness, but I want to do what God wants and I know I've hurt you. I know I've done this and I shouldn't. I said this thing and I shouldn't have. And so I want to apologize. Thank you, Lord, that it's not on what I do that gets me saved or keeps me saved. It's what Christ has done. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, out of his grace, continues to walk with me even when I fail. Otherwise, people get the impression that what we end up doing is every time we make a mistake, we got to hurry up and confess, and otherwise we're not saved. And we live life on eggshells. We're saved by grace through the love 
of Jesus Christ, because Jesus loved us. People need to see that. All right, kind of got off track a little bit. All right, so this, let's look at Jesus's community. We sometimes pass over lists and names and assume that they will not teach us anything. Maybe we'll get down into like Luke's genealogy about who Jesus was and we'll point out, we'll say, oh, Rahab, she was a prostitute and she's in Jesus's genealogy. And we'll look at some of those names and we'll count the generations and get all nerdy about how, you know what I mean? It's like we get all amped up about that stuff. But let's look at the actual names. Let's see who is here and see if we can learn something from this. So verse 16, he appointed the 12. Simon, who he gave the name Peter. And to make it that much more confusing, he's also Cephas, okay? We're working with multiple languages here. So Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, so James and John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Sound like pleasant fellas? 18, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, Poor guy, in order to distinguish James, the son of thunder, all they do is tack on his dad's name, living in his father's footsteps or shadow, I should say. And Thaddeus, who we never hear anything about, he's actually got another name too. Uh, it is uh, Lebaeus, okay, and I didn't know that until this week. Simon the Zealot, some of your Bibles may say Simon the Canaanian, which does not mean that they're from Canaan or a Canaanite, it means something else. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So these are our guys. This is Jesus' chosen crew. These are the people who Jesus brought to himself, okay? All right, let's take a look at some of them. Simon, Simon, Peter, Cephas, same person. Simon is the one, Lord, I will never betray you. Runs like a little girl as soon as things get hard. The one who cuts off the ear of the servant, of the high priest, Malchus. He's a fisherman, a tradesman. Some of you are tradesmen. You know what life at work is like. These are fishermen, almost like sailors. We actually have idioms about sailors in their mouths. You can imagine what Simon was likely like, along with the other fishermen there. And Simon was married. We know this for sure, but we're not sure that the other disciples were. So now here we have in a group already something of differences. We have a tradesman, who's bombastic and married with men who were otherwise maybe single. So now we have this single married dynamic in the same community. We talk about this a lot in church. I certainly talk about it a lot. Lane was single till she was 45. Her single ministry was sort of her, her idea, her life. She lived there for a long time. And so this is often something that I'm forced, I mean, I like to talk about at home very often. Just kidding. And so... Um, who do we cater to? Do we cater to singles? Do we start a singles ministry? Do we cater to families? Do we talk to married people? How do the singles fit in with the marrieds? How do the marrieds relate to the singles? What about the singles that are the marrieds who got married at 19? Still married. What about the singles who are single in their 50s? How do we all relate? How do we stay in the same community? We're going to talk about that. James and John, sons of thunder, as I said, sound like pleasant fellas, highly ambitious. These are the ones who went to their mommy and said, mommy, could you please go to Jesus and like a good Jewish mother, twist his arm so that I would sit on the left and right of you when you come into your kingdom. 
Again, fishermen. John's the disciple that Jesus loved. It says he leaned against Jesus' breast in the upper room at the Last Supper. I wonder how that made the other people feel. Maybe we come to community and we see people who seem to be favorites or favored. And we get jealous. We wish that we were different. We wish that we could have that relationship with Jesus. And so it comes out in the way we treat others. I think this is true. I think I've seen this a lot. We assume that because someone has lived a, I hate air quotes, good life, that they spent more time with Jesus that somehow we are unrelatable to them. In fact, it's almost as if we will turn it in our minds as if they're bad. As if they can't relate to me, they can't understand, they can't anything. And so we create a division. Whereas here in this community, community of 12, we see them with one another. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, fisherman. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. So now we have some interplay here about who he's really following or who he had followed in the past. We have Philip, a friend of Andrew, who's clearly skeptical of anything that can come out of Egypt, out of uh, Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Show us the Father. We have Bartholomew, who also could be Nathaniel. Guys we're not sure about. The common person. Look at that list. There's only a few here that are actually people who are well-known. We know them because they're part of the 12, but that's it. We don't know anything else about them. Matthew. Here's a good cause, the rich tax collector. To again, understand what a tax collector was, a tax collector was a Jewish person who worked for the Romans to collect taxes from his countrymen. He would skim off the top and he'd give the rest to Rome. So you can imagine what that was like for the disciples. Standing next to him, Simon the Zealot. Let me tell you who Simon the Zealot is. A zealot is someone who's a nationalist who wanted to rebel against Rome and fight. He was a freedom fighter. So we have a Jewish-centered freedom fighter. In the same group is the guy who's ripping the countrymen off. And they're together in the same community. Matthew was probably Hellenized. He probably had a mind towards Rome, means he had a mind towards that sort of culture. Yet the other ones, including Simon the Zealot, were definitely Jewish-oriented. So Matthew was likely rich. After all, he'd been skimming money from his fellow brother and brothers and sisters for a long time. And he's with people who are regular tradesmen. And so there was a disparity there. Then we have the skeptic, Thomas. I won't believe until I can see the actual hands. We have James, the son of Alphaeus, who we know nothing about. Just Jim. That's Jim. Thaddeus, another average guy. A lot of average guys. It's important. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, God must love the common people because he made so many of them. Simon the Zealot. And then Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Jesus. The one who people were skeptical of in the group. Remember, he was the treasurer. And when the woman broke the nard to, to anoint Jesus for his burial, he was the one. How many poor people could have been fed with this? He was the treasurer. And so there was some question, obviously, about the way he handled the funds. 
Perhaps when Jesus called him, the other 11 said, what? Maybe they knew. You live with people long enough, you can't fake. So everyone knew what everything was going on in each other's lives and how they really were, their sort of dispositions, their tendencies, their reactions. Yet Jesus called him. Same thing with us. How often do we watch people come into our community or those around us and keep them at arm's length because we're just not sure instead of creating a sense of belonging, giving them the benefit of the doubt. You know, love believes all things. Love believes all things. We're not called to eliminate people from our groups because we think they might be a problem. Jesus didn't, neither should we. So look at these. Socioeconomic differences, tribal differences. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Tribal differences, married versus single, highly religious in Simon the Zealot versus the average guy, the fisherman, type A versus type B. I'm assuming Thaddeus, Nathaniel, Bartholomew are not type A guys. It's an assumption. But we look at the three people who are closest to Jesus. This is interesting. The three who Jesus calls to himself are John and James, the sons of thunder, and Peter, the bombastic Peter. The three loud-mouthed fishermen, the bombastic people, are the ones that Jesus calls to him his closest inner circle. Of course, we see how they changed over time in interaction with him as we look at their letters and things that they wrote. But think about that. Someone comes in, visits our church. He's wearing a certain thing. He's got a dirty mouth. He probably smokes cigarettes. He may have a girlfriend and maybe a couple of kids with that girlfriend. How do we interact with that person? I mean, once we get to know him, we start talking and we start understanding that he's different than us. How do we love him? How do we invite him and say, join us? Or do we say, well, nice to meet you, talk to you later, and then never speak to him again? How about the woman, the single mom who's got multiple children, maybe from multiple fathers, who knows nothing about Christ, who's coming here because her friend's a Christian and her friend seems nice, so she's just invited. She shows up. These are all my kids. And undoubtedly, the kids are not well-behaved. They're running around like crazy up on the stage, running through the atrium while we're out there. What is our posture towards that person, towards those children? It should be join us. It should be join us. Be with us as we are with Christ. What about, think about, think about this. What about Simon the Zealot? We'll call him a Jewish MAGA trumper. With Matthew, the Rome-oriented tax collector. Maybe we'll call that the Black Lives Matter person. You, it's, it's hard to, to overstate how opposed these two groups would have been. And yet there they are, in community with one another, following Jesus. I'm sure they got into those times where it said the other apostles were indignant you know, at one another. And undoubtedly, there are times that we will be indignant with one another as well. Yet they stayed. They were together. They were Jesus' crew. So what kept this ragtag group together? What keeps us together? If we're really creating the belonging that God wants for us, out of his love, what is it that keeps them together? Well, creating true belonging requires that we look past our differences. Now, if I stopped right there, I would say we just don't, we just leave it. Just ignore what the other person believes to Christ. We look past their differences to Christ. When our eyes are focused on Jesus and we are in love with our Lord, when we come up with someone who loves Jesus too, that stuff does not matter. 
does not matter. I went to a Mexican restaurant on Friday, and many of you know that I'm learning Spanish, and so every time I get the chance, I'm just going to do it. I go into like the Hispanic grocery stores. I'll walk up to random people and just ask questions I know the answer to because I just want to practice my Spanish, and they're so kind. They, they will just have a conversation with me, correct me nicely where I've made mistakes. So I went into this restaurant. We were eating, and uh, I told him that I could speak Spanish, and he was excited. He's like, oh, it's so great. Even the Hispanics who come here usually want to speak English because they want to practice in that, and so we got into this conversation. It was a really warm, friendly interaction. We had, we had a good time. And then I said, soy un pastor. I'm a pastor. And it was like a switch went off in the guy. The guy forgot I was learning still because he just went off and just told me all about his church, how the Bible says this, and he follows Jesus and how Jesus loves him and how he came to this country and all of these things. And as soon as he heard that Christ was in my life and it was in his, thick as thieves. We were, we were brothers, going from just acquaintances who could speak one language to brothers and it was obvious. When we keep our eyes focused on Christ and he becomes our center, this belonging happens by default. It happens by default. As we look to Christ, see, when we're not creating belonging in our lives, when we're not inviting people in to join us, it's not because necessarily we're just, and it can be, but it's not just because we're being stubborn or lazy or we don't like them or something. It means we're not looking at Jesus because if our eyes were fixed on him, all of these things we normally use and Satan uses to separate us, dissolve. Dissolve. So, creating true belonging requires that we look past our differences to Christ. Our love for Christ is the object of our common affection. That man at the restaurant knew me because I knew Christ, and so did he. The love of Christ, the response to our love for Christ, is seen in the way we love others. We can say, let me say it like this. We can have entire tomes of systematic theology memorized. We can have a categorical knowledge of everything in the scripture. We can have trivial words and phrases knowing how one word relates to another word in the Bible, in the original language, and it means nothing if we are not loving the people around us the way Jesus loved them. In fact, we work opposite of what we're trying to do. We work against Jesus when we do this. Against him. Love's common, or not only so our love for Christ, our love of Christ, Christ's common purpose for us as well. He calls them to be with him so that they might go out and preach and they might wield spiritual warfare. We're in this together. We're on a mission together. This is why churches, this is why we are working hard to craft a more clear mission statement. It's not just what's our mission, because if we don't have a mission, it's going to be this, get together on Sunday and sing the music I like. We have a larger mission, and that is to join us, to cast a net of the gospel and say, come with us as we are with him. And so, very practically, Jesus had his 12 who are yours. Who are your 12? 12 seems like a lot, and it is a lot. We say, Jesus, man, he had 12, so we should too. Well, this is Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus also had three. Maybe it's just our three. The point is, is we need to be intentional in our lives and say, who in our life, who in my life right now is God calling 
to be closer to me. It might not look like the people you think. I'm working in a workshop uh, on life on life discipleship and we talked about selecting people who will go with you. People that you will pour your life into. People that you will spend lots of time with and be very vulnerable and transparent with. How do you decide who the people are going to be? One of the very first most foundational pieces that they taught was that it will likely not look like who you think it is because it's God's choice, not yours. And so in my life, I'm thinking, who are some of these people who might be? And people are coming into my head, and some people are going out, and this and that. And it's like this, I'm working, I'm chewing on this as I'm working with the Lord and asking, who should this be? What I've come away with is that some of the people are not who I would have chosen. Some of the people are not the type of people that even I would get along with in other situations. But it's common love for Jesus and our desire to do his will together in community that's, that, it, that takes the day at the end. Because I love Christ, because we love Christ, we can love others. And because Christ called us into community, we should be doing the same with everyone we know. Who is God calling to himself through you? Are you going out of your way to greet people? Are you going out of your way on a Sunday morning to talk to your friends or to talk to the visitors? Who's God calling you to himself through Grace Bible? When people come in, are we greeting them? How do we greet them? Do we greet them with warmth? Or do we seek to get information to find reasons for them to be different? Now, I'm not saying anyone does that intentionally, but I'm saying it can come across like that. So where are you from? Think about that answer. Where are you from? It's a simple question. We ask it all the time. But in some way, the answer matters. It will in, it'll impact the way we see them. It shouldn't, but it often does. Well, I'm from Elmhurst. That's, okay, check that box, good. North or South Elmhurst. <laughs> oh, you're from Cook County. That's a different story. In the end, people will know that we are Christ's whether we agree with them on any issue if we love them like he does. If we create belonging in our lives and in this church, for it's by our love that people will know it. Jesus himself said it in John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We sang it last week. Like, how are we really loving the people around us? So, God in love, let's look at our points again. God in love creates a community belonging to him through Christ. God pulls people to himself all the time. Jesus emphasized creating this belonging among the people he loved as well. And creating true belonging requires that we look past our differences to something, to Jesus. To Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, Lord, we confess that we do not do this well in a lot of places in our lives. It's comfortable, Lord, to love the people who look like us, sound like us, believe like us, 
Live near us, live like us. Lord, we confess that we do this way too often. Father, give us the grace and the eyes to see what we say to people, how we interact with people, how we love people that we first meet or people that we maybe don't even like. Lord, tell us, show us. For Lord, it's our, it's our desire that we keep our eyes focused on you and so be like you. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to love others the way that you love us because we know, Lord, from your word that when people interact with us, they're interacting with you. Help us live this out in truth instead of just in our minds or a principle or the abstract. Lord, make us different. Make us people who just are magnets for those around us. Make us people who love people better than anyone that they know. Lord, make us real, true reflections of who you are to the world and the people around us. We thank you, Lord, so much for loving us and adopting us into your family. We thank you so much for allowing us, by your grace, Lord, to be your sons and daughters. Help us, Lord, to live like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Could you hand me uh, the, the communion stuff? Thank you. Thanks, Lainey. We talk a lot about belonging today. We talk a lot about belonging in the church frequently, but it's important to know that that belonging can only happen because of what Christ has done for us. When Christ died on the cross, he made a way that the sin that blocked us from each other and from God would be dealt with once and for all. Scripture says that we're to remember those times, and that's what we're going to do today. We're to remember that time, remember Christ's death. And so we're going to celebrate communion together. Is there anyone who does not have a communion cup? If you do not, please raise your hand. And we'll make sure that um, Brother Phil here will come around to you. Now we're going to take communion. What song have we got today? What's your first one? Who am I? Huh? An original. Oh, an original. <laughs> This is gonna be this is gonna be good. Okay. That was original. All right, so what I'd like us to do then is we're gonna take the communion elements on our own. Okay, we're not gonna take them together as a community. What we're gonna do is during this time, Michael is going to play a song. And this is some of the things that I want you to think about. I want you to think about what in your life and where in your life are you disobeying God? Okay, the scripture says that when we take communion, that when we celebrate this together, we need to have an honest conversation about what's happening in our heart. Take this moment to confess to God, to repent, to make what God's will for your life is your desire as well. Okay, then I want you to just sit, listen to the music, and take some time and listen to what God is telling you. Don't be afraid. Listen for a word or an idea, something that God wants you to know as you take this communion, as you reflect upon what he did for you. And thank him. And thank him for what he has done. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks to it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then afterwards, he took the cup and gave thanks for it. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood to remember him every time we drink it. So this is what we're doing. Let me pray for the elements and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this bread and this juice. 
Lord, we thank you for what they represent, your son. We thank you, Lord, for what he did on our behalf. And Lord, we admit we take it for granted far too often. Open our eyes, Lord, to what Christ has done. Open our hearts, Lord, to who we really are. And give us the grace to apply his death to our life in every area. We thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.